Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode, that's right, of the London is Blue podcast. I'm here, Dan, alongside Nick. And we are deep into a preseason right now, preseason that feels like it's not even a preseason. It feels like the season never ended, Nick. And we are doing our preseason preview pods with wonderful guests from around the Premier League. And who, who's joining us today? That's right. You know, if you if you tuned in last year, you know that uh, you know we like to get a little little ahead of the opposition, and so uh, we started with. Uh, one of our, our greatest foes in Arsenal, and so we are really excited to be joined by the one and only Arse Blog. Uh, welcome. Welcome hey to guys. the London is Blue podcast. How's it going? Yeah. Uh, you recovered hey, from the cup final yet? or <laughs> We're fine. We put uh, that away. We're good. No, uh, but uh, also goes by uh, Andrew, so uh, we're uh, sure. very happy to have Andrew with us uh, to chat about Arsenal today to give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain and then also flip the script, give him the opportunity to share some of his thoughts about what's been going on with Chelsea too. So I just want to jump right in. First off, congratulations winning the Community Shield. Mourinho would say that it is a absolutely one of the three most important Top trophies trophy. in a treble. <laughs> sure. Um, so congratulations for that. But, uh, you know, again, the season, it basically didn't end. It just is a continuation of another se- you know, the season that just ended. Um, mm. How did you feel about this this time under Arteta and where kind of Arsenal's heading in the trajectory right now? Um. 
I have to say, going into the Community Shield, I was very indifferent to the whole thing, you know, because it just felt like we hadn't had enough break um, between the the sort of hectic schedule that we had after lockdown and then, uh, you know, just a few weeks after the Cup Final and all of a sudden we're going again. And it's basically um, our first um, major preseason game. We had a, like a, a warm-up against MK Dons. But, you know, you're playing at Wembley, you're playing against Liverpool, the champions, and you're going... Oh, well, look, this could be bad, actually, you know, all, all things considered. Once it started, though, I managed to get into it and you score a good goal like that. And then you're thinking, OK, well, this is this is quite interesting. And it was it was um, it was interesting to see the team play the way they did in much the same way they did, you know, against Man City in the in the semifinal and maybe to a lesser extent the way we did against you guys in, in the final. Um, so you immediately when you win a game like that feel enthused even though if we lost you could just compartmentalize it and say well it didn't matter because you know we still got two weeks uh, before the first game of the season so i guess that's just the 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 uh, demonstration of the beauty or the allure of football that you can tell yourself this doesn't matter but as soon as it starts you're just you're just into it so and, and and so I think you know the other thing too is obviously you know didn't wasn't all roses for Arsenal last season. I, you know I have a question here that hmm. you know what's the biggest regret from last season? I'm gonna guess it's not being back in the Champions League. But do you feel the same way, or, or where are you at with that? Um, personally, I think the biggest regret from last season was how long it took us to sack Unai Emery. I think given the way the season had started and, and how poor the form was and, you know, how many games we went without a win. And it was like, it was uh, historically bad for Arsenal last season. There were, um, you know, record low points and, you know, the word relegation was thrown out there slightly ironically, but not completely, which is, you know, a really crazy thing to consider when it's, when it's Arsenal football club. Uh, it'd be, it was clear for quite a while that he wasn't the guy and that things weren't going to get much better. And, I, you know, I do wonder if perhaps we'd made the change earlier, things would have been different. Champions League always looked like a really, really long shot. And as it turned out, we didn't even get into the Europa League uh, by virtue of our, our Premier League place. So um, I don't know that we can have regrets about missing out in the Champions League. Um I'm very glad we got back into the Europa League because I think it's important, but a lot depended on that that last game. Sorry to keep bringing up the the cup final, but it meant such a great deal to to Arsenal as a football club and what we could do this season going ahead and um, uh, and the plans that we could make and the things we could do in the transfer market. So, um, yeah, I guess that would be the the biggest regret was how long it took us to change things when it was obvious things needed to be changed. In in that vein, in kind of looking ahead to the the upcoming season, mm. uh, Arsenal have done some business ahead of of you know what is likely going to be the most insanely packed calendar of yeah. all time in the Premier League. Uh, specifically, um, let's talk about some of these arrivals that have come in because I I think you would find a couple of shocked faces in Dan and I that you guys are signing players um, after after what's been a bit of a, a difficult time financially at the club. Mm. Uh, you brought in a center back, Gabriel. You brought uh, you brought back Pablo Mari. Cedric Suarez signs an extension. Willian uh, comes mm. over from our beloved Blues. Uh, Saliba comes back from loan. Same with El Nene. And Mkhitaryan uh, actually is heading out now. So... Um, Talk talk a little bit about the first handful that I've, I've mentioned here. Are there any uh, arrivals that you're excited about? Any that are potentially on the horizon beyond these folks? 
I think the the two that I would look at are, are Gabriel, who's a central defender, and obviously William Saliba, who we signed last year from uh, Saint Etienne, but we loaned him back there, and he's coming back to play for us this season. Two young central defenders, one's 19, the other's 22. They're both big guys, six foot three, six foot four. They add some physical presence. So if you're looking to the future and you're looking for Arsenal to build a, a secure defense, which is something we haven't had for quite a while, you've got a lot of hope um, that these two guys can be it, while at the same time recognizing that they're both quite young for central defenders and they've got a bit of learning to do. So, you know, I, I think there's going to be um, a period of adjustment and development for these guys. And I do hope that that there's a recognition from, you know, I think all football clubs and uh, fan bases have a reactionary element to them these days. That's just the nature of the beast. Um you know these guys are going to make mistakes, and they're going to they're going to learn from those mistakes. Um, so I hope that the expectation people have in them, you know, doesn't go out the window as soon as something bad happens once or twice, and people start writing them off. Willian is an interesting one because um, you know I can see how he might bring something to this team in the very short term. I was a little surprised at the duration of the contract that we gave him, given he's 32 years of age. And As were we. <laughs> yeah, I think anybody would be. And it's not just Willian. I think any player at 32 years of age who gets a three-year deal somewhere, you know, it would raise some eyebrows. Um, but I do think, you know, having watched him do things against us down the years, he's a good player. You know, he mm -hmm. wouldn't have been necessarily my first choice or anything like that, but I think he is a good player, Premier League ready. He doesn't have to move house. He doesn't have to learn anything new about the, you know, about any of it. He can just slot in and play. And I think in the very short term, that will be useful for Arsenal. Where we are in 18 months with him, if, you know, age and time catches up with him and we need to move him on, um, that's an issue that we've had some problems with, you know, players um, heading towards the end of their contracts and we can't get them out. So those are the three, I suppose, that you would you would look at. Danny Ceballos, I think, is coming back on loan. So that's yep, another yep. positive move. I think there's still loads more to do from an Arsenal perspective in the transfer market because we, I think we've got eight central defenders on the books right now. So somebody's got to go. Some of those, you just can't maintain that that level. And I think the big, big question now from an Arsenal point of view is what do we do with midfield? Because that is that is the the, the pressing issue, I think. And you see links to Thomas Partey and uh, Owa from uh, Liga. So, you know, two different profiles of players. But there's definitely work to do there because Arsenal are, are lacking something from a creative point of view. Um, and I, I hope, and I think many Arsenal fans hope that that's something that will be addressed in the market. What's your take on what, you know, looked like a pretty settled position when it came to Leno and goal and gets injured. Martinez comes in, mm. deputizes amazingly well, uh, mm. somewhat, you know, as a, a group of individuals right now who are looking at other teams, goalkeepers and being like, Oh, you're one of the 20 keepers in the premier league. That's better than ours. Um, <laughs> how, how do you feel about that situation? And where, where do you maybe see that sorting out for y'all? I think that's a really complicated one because, um, before Leno got the injury, I don't think anybody would have envisaged having the conversation that we're having to have about Emi Martinez. You know, he'd been at the club for 10 years, basically. He'd had some loan spells. They didn't particularly go well. Um, and you look at a goalkeeper of 27 who's never quite made it as a first choice anywhere, and you 
understandably have some question marks over that. But he's come in, he's done brilliantly. Um, I think he is in a position in his own mind where he really wants to strike while the iron is hot. You know, his stock mm -hmm. has never been higher. I don't know that he can necessarily demand to be the Arsenal number one, having just played, I think it's only 15 Premier League games in total for the club. Um, he's got two years left on his contract. It's one of those where if you make a decision, you're going to leave somebody very unhappy. And, and uh, you know, I like him a lot. I think he's been brilliant. I like his presence. I think uh, the, the kind of football Arteta is trying to play uh, playing the ball out from the back. I think Leno is good with his feet. I also think Martinez is is very, very good with his feet. You know, I think he's better in that regard. There isn't much between them in terms of shot stopping and the saves that they make. The only issue is that the Martinez sample size is so much smaller mm -hmm. than Leno. I mean, ideally, I think I think it's one of those situations, you know, if the club could manage it, keep them both for a year. Um if Leno or Martinez, you know, if they scrap it out between themselves and it becomes abundantly clear one is is by far the, the number one choice, you've still got a guy who's got a year in his contract. You sell him next summer uh, if it's Martinez. With Leno, if it's Leno, you know, you've got a, a longer contract to sell. I'd like to see the two of them have a good scrap this season, you know. And, and what, what really complicates it is that if this were – if this were a normal season, if we were mid-season and Leno had been injured and Martinez had stepped in and deputized as well as he did and you still had 15 games to go, do you bring Leno straight back in? What, is, what has Martinez done to lose his place? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, what yeah. does it say to any player in the squad, whether it's a goalkeeper or otherwise, that if you come in and you do really well, you're out as soon as the other guy is back. You know, you've got to try and create that kind of competitive environment for players so it's a really tough one it's a really tough one but I suppose having two really good goalkeepers is better than the flip side of that which is not having any as you guys know look <laughs> Willie Caballero is a good goalkeeper and I will not hear another word about it yeah, he's um, good in his day he's, he's all right um I think one of the questions I would have for you is is more around formation uh, mm. you know because I think an interesting evolution of, of the Arsenal that I grew up watching into where it is today is that I think, you know, we're looking at just an understanding of, of where maybe the weaknesses in the team were, a switch to a three-back formation that's that's proved to be pretty effective over time. Where do you think uh, Mikel Arteta is going to go this year in terms of how he sets up the team? And, you know, are there any players that, that inherently benefit from maybe playing a three back versus a four back. And I'm not specifically looking at David Louise when I say, well, I mean, you, you, I think you've nailed the guy who absolutely works <laughs> great in a back three, doesn't he? I mean, you've seen him down the years at Chelsea. He's a, he's a very accomplished defender in a back three, uh, despite the fact that the, the rickets and the mistakes that he's making appear to be um, increasing uh, exponentially. The older he gets, the more penalties he's giving away. But, you know, in a back three, and as I mentioned earlier, when, when Arsenal have got two young defenders coming in, one of them Brazilian as well, it does feel to me like that's what we're going to start the season with, with Luis probably in that, in that central role with uh, Gabriel one side and, and maybe William Saliba, maybe somebody else um, starting off. But, but, you know, to have that kind of 
system in place to to take some of the pressure off them, I think might be part of the thinking. The other side of that, of course, is that I'm not sure we have the midfield players or the technical level to play. A, okay, A, we don't really have the defenders yet. We don't have the, the central defensive two to play a back four, but nor do we have the midfield security, technical security, creativity to play with a, a what I think Arteta will want to play ultimately is a 4-3-3. Um, something like that anyway. Um, I don't think we have those players quite yet. So that's why I think what happens in midfield will be very interesting. Um, if we sign a player or two who who fits that profile, maybe it takes some of the pressure off the guys at the back and you can move to a back four. Um, but I think I- initially we are going to start with with the back three. It's worked well. The The improvement in the big games is obvious. The question now is... What do you do in the games against Villa that you lose, Brighton that you lose? Do you need three players at the back when you're playing that kind of opposition? It's different when you're playing a team like Chelsea or Liverpool or Man United or or Man City, you know, who are really, really good. And it gives you this sort of security. But when the onus is on you to create and to, to win games and to control games, I do wonder if that three at the back is a little bit... Um, cautious if you like so uh, I think we may see some fluctuation throughout the season um, because there is a need for Arsenal to address that issue against so-called smaller teams I would say given the kind of financial situation of the club I'm not acutely aware of it but you know you you read a lot of stuff online Um, yeah we only have a a billionaire owner unfortunately you know it's uh, (laughs) it's it's hard to you know rub two cents together if you're Stan Kroenke you know but but how many super yachts does he have is really the this question. Is the question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of curious to understand, you know, who might be sold uh, this summer. Are you hearing any rumors about your Bellarines or kind of your your kind of higher prospect talent that mm-hmm. is potential to leave, or is it is it trying to keep the core together? Yeah, Hector Bellerin's being linked with a move to PSG. Some talk of a bit of around 25 million, which you would hope is going to be increased if Arsenal do sell. I mean, the thing is, there are a lot of players in the squad that Arsenal might want to sell. You know, you can go through it from front to back. I mentioned all the central defenders that we have. You know, Matteo Genduzzi in midfield has been out in the cold. Lucas Torreiro potentially wants to go back to Italy. There's the Mesodozil situation, Alexandra Lacazette. Um, you know, is is 29 and two years out from the end of his contract. And while it will be brilliant for Arsenal to sell all the deadwood and get in lots of money that they could then reinvest back in the team, nobody really wants, well, not all of those players, but some of those players are not going to generate you the kind of money that somebody like Hector Bellerin would, who's 24, 25 years of age and has got the best years of his career ahead of him. So I feel like there are going to be a, at least one or two painful sales for Arsenal fans because the reality is that we do have to raise money to spend money and um, the players who are most valuable are the good players. That's the bottom line. So, look, I think they are going to try and move some of these guys out. They'll try their best to to ship out um, players who maybe – you know, we could do without this season, but they're going to have to make some adjustments for players that we we don't necessarily want to lose. So 
bar like two or three, maybe three or four players, everybody at Arsenal is up for grabs. So flipping the script a little bit, because, you know, we now have gotten a chance to understand what's going on in Arsenal, get a little bit of a kind of a dive mm. in there. Um, we want to get an Arsenal supporters perspective on, you could call it signing players, but it's almost like we've rebooted or recast an entire mm. television pilot. So we did the pilot season with Lampard and now we're actually going to production. And so all the major roles are being recast. What are your thoughts about what's going on at, at Stamford Bridge and at Chelsea right now? What's your just general take? Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of money being splashed around, isn't there? So, you know, some of the signings that you've made are are very, very good. Um, you know, there's there's a very deep squad there now, I think. Um, certainly from an attacking point of view, um, there's a lot of talent there, which uh, is going to cause a lot of defences in the Premier League problems. I suppose the thing, and I, I'm... Uh, apologize if I've missed this, but I'm not quite sure what you guys have done defensively in the transfer market. Has there been anything concrete there? Uh, ben Chilwell, uh, if you Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good left back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, some links, obviously, to uh, there, there's some goalkeeper links. Uh, pretty much mm. if you have a pair of gloves and you're about 6'3 or taller, uh, mm. we have been linked to you. <laughs> okay. So lots of goalkeepers. And I think probably... You know, the center of your defense is something that needs uh, some attention too. Um, you know, I, when I look at what we did in the cup final, um, you know, you look at the, the, the lineup of defenders that you had available to you. And I think probably throughout the season, there were some issues there for, for you guys as well. So, you know, having all this attacking talent is brilliant. Um, I do feel like there's a balance required between um, having all the greatest young um, attacking talents in Europe and the defense. So I'm very, I'm curious to see what happens there. I suppose the, the thing that occurs to me is that, um, you know, Frank Lampard has come in, he had his first season. He's a young manager. He's young, he's English, he's popular. And I think in sections of the, the UK media, there is an element of, um, romanticism when it comes to him. Um, but when you go out and you spend the amount of money that he spent, well, he has spent, but the club have spent, and you put those tools at his disposal, I think there's a, there is a, an element of pressure and expectation, isn't there? That you can't hide behind your, I'm not going to say rookie status, but your, your relative inexperience you know, you don't go out and buy those players just to sort of creep into the top four. That's not the intention, surely. So I think it'll be very interesting as well to see how he copes with that increased expectation that I think will come in the media as well. But it has to come from the Chelsea fan base as well, no? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is Chelsea. The expectation is there regardless mm -hmm. uh, of if you spend $500 million or you or you don't some you know we didn't spend anything last year and i think mm. fans fans like dan still wanted us to, to win the league so um it's uh it's it's always going to be tough i mean there there is a little bit of i would say the romanticism is is right um you know i think he yeah of course former is, player former captain brilliant you know you know not only just player, a former yeah. player but one of the best you know midfielders of all time in the premier league I mean, you know he he exudes confidence i think he exudes class and it's a different vibe than we had with sorry or you know even mm. back to conte or you know Mourinho too or any of these you know i think it's 
it's a different thing. Most Chelsea fans have been waiting for a manager to bring through youth talent for uh, decades now because we've, we've had it come through the ranks and to see it kind of manifest itself a little bit last year and then to understand mm. that on the other side of the door when you qualify for the Champions League that there's even more money to spend is is really heartening. Um, but I agree that the expectations will probably be elevated this year. There's no doubt about that. What happens to some of those young talents, though, who are going to be um, challenged at the very least by some of the arrivals that have come in? You know, was that a was that a like, uh, OK, we we have all the faith in the world in these young players or. Well, we don't have any choice but to play these young players because we can't do anything in the market. Maybe, I mean, like, serious question, a little well, from column A, a little from column B, I suppose. Yeah, a little, little column A, a little column B. I mean, if you look at where we struggled last year, I don't think the young players are the ones that we were we were targeting as, as having bad games week in, week out. Mm. Um, if you if you look at center back, you know, Zuma is relatively young, but you know, 24, 25, not that mm. young. Tamori and Zuma were our best center back partnership by far um, leading up to the season. So, you know, that was interesting because we have a young player in there. You know, Keppa is obviously relatively young as a goalkeeper, but not a an academy talent. Kind of go through the midfield, and some of our midfield performances were not the youth uh, players that we had issues with and kind mm. of moving forward and, and forward and forward. So it, it, it is interesting that a guy like Olivier Giroud kind of re-cemented himself after the break, a veteran talent who kind of helped guide us over the line <laughs> barely mm. at the end. Uh, but I think the the players that were being signed, Dan, are the ones that are are coming in for maybe some of the players that, that we might sell or, or transition out of the club. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see just exactly what happens. I think very similar to the Arsenal situation. We've got a bunch of players who don't have a necessary future at Chelsea at the moment. Emerson, Michi Batshuayi, uh, a fair number of people that have been signed. Daniel Drinkwater still has a Chelsea contract. You guys want him? Crazily enough. <laughs> no, 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 no thanks. No thanks. You need a midfield player, right? Uh, you know, he scored one great goal for us. Um <laughs> Uh, well, we, we want to kind of get to the point of uh, putting a little bit of uh, kind of prediction situation here before we kind of wrap up and uh, maybe something that allows us to revisit maybe later in the season mm -hmm. and understand just how it went for Arsenal. But uh, you might not be ready to give the prediction yet, but we're going to ask anyway. And if you can offer it up, we'd love to hear it. But where do you think Arsenal will finish this season uh, as it stands today? As it stands today... I think you'd be looking at Arsenal finishing top six, maybe fifth. If we have a good, if we have a good push with, uh, with the squad as it stands. Uh, but as I said to you, I think there's still a lot of work to do. The midfield is an area that, that, you know, Mikel Arteta was a central midfield player. He knows the options that he has in there at the moment are not, <clears throat> excuse me, are not quite what they should be. There's a lack of quality. There's a lack of depth. Um, if we address those, I think in your most optimistic um, day, you might say we could scrap for the top four. But if we see some progress and we see a like a, a comfortable top six finish, maybe fifth, you know, I think that would be reasonable given where we were when Mikel Arteta took over and what he's done since. You know, he's instilled a lot of confidence and belief in these players. Um, 
it goes a long way to convince them that you know what you're doing when you win trophies. Um, and winning the FA Cup was hugely important for the club, as I said earlier, to get back into to Europe and everything else. But I also think just to sort of cement his position as manager, because he's come in and one of the things that he's done really well is communicate, communicate well to the fans, to the players. Nobody's in any doubt as to what it is that he wants, what he expects. We mm. don't quite know how he's going to do it or if he's going to be able to do it, but it makes a big difference when your manager can communicate properly to you. And we went through a period under Unai Emery, and this isn't to be critical of him per se, because it's very difficult, you know, throw you guys, you know, go down to um, Spain or France or Germany or wherever, and you don't speak the language. And all of a sudden you're doing a press conference every week, you know, it will be very difficult. So I appreciate the fact that it was a difficult thing for him to come and, and learn a second, third, fourth language, whatever it might be for him. But there were issues you know, with that, with communication and maybe in hindsight, he might wish he used a, a translator um, as Chelsea manager did in the past um, to, to good effect. Um, you know, I, I think there's hope and there's expectation and there's optimism based on what Arteta has done. And, and we kind of, we're kind of hoping he can get the best out of the players that we have rather than rather than sort of seeing their worst aspects come out time and time again. And I think that's been true when you look at even players like Granit Xhaka, Shkodran Mustafi, you know, who, who've had difficult periods in their Arsenal career, but under Arteta have been probably as good as they ever have been. So so that's where the that's where the hope comes from. Right now, I don't think we're ready to challenge for a top four. I think Liverpool are still brilliant. Man City have spent a fortune. You guys have spent a fortune. United will spend. Tottenham will probably spend. So it's going to be a, a hell of a battle for for those top four places. Um, it'd be nice to, to finish in there, but I don't think we're quite ready to do it yet. But if we see progress, if we see more points, if we see a team that's more consistent and more competitive, I think we can look at it as a as a, a kind of a stepping stone season and then see where we are this time next year and, and what we can do. So snap call domestic trophies. You won one last season. Do you win the FA Cup or League Cup this season? No. No. What what about Europa League? Do you end up coming back into the Champions League by winning the Europa League? Oh, good question. Um it's very difficult to know because we have no idea what Arteta's European pedigree is like, but then we didn't know what his Premier League was like. It feels like a stretch, you know? It feels like a stretch. But then again, you know, if you re-sign Aubameyang, if he scores goal after goal after goal and you supplement the midfield properly, you know, the Europa League is a, is a competition we could go far in. I would say semifinals for Arsenal in the, in the Europa League, but not quite the final yet. And we're not winning which, the league, just in case you were going to ask me that. <laughs> which uh, which player do you think will be the best at the club in the 2020-2021 season? Apart from Willian. Apart from Willian, of course. Apart from Willian. Yeah. Um, it's hard to look beyond Aubameyang, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because of the just the quality he has, the, the goals that he scores, the consistency that he performs with, and and and... You know, he is one of the top strikers in the world, even if he's not being played as a striker at Arsenal, which makes his goal-scoring record all the more remarkable. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping, you know, that we'll see some players take a good step forward as well. I think Bukayo Saka is a, is a real, real talent. Um, as the season goes on, he finished with 11 or 12 assists last season at 18 years of age. So, 
you know, if he can do the same again this season, that will be a, a great return from him. And I suppose people will be looking at Nicolas Pepe, who's had a difficult enough first season in England, but finished it well. He finished it very well and he looked more comfortable. He looked more assured about what he um, what was expected of him and, and what his role in the team was. So there's definitely a good player there in Nicolas Pepe, perhaps not a 72 million pound player. Um, the, the price tag might've been a bit of a burden, but I think in his second season, feeling more comfortable without the, the mayhem of what happened under Unai Emery in your formative months at a new club, you would hope that, that he can take a step forward as well. So those would be my three. And then the last question, because it is a Chelsea podcast where do you think Chelsea finish in the table this season? I think probably third or fourth. I can't see you getting beyond City or Liverpool just yet. Um, and I think with the the talent that you have in the attacking areas of the pitch, I think we're going to see a lot of goals from Chelsea against the so-called smaller teams. Um, but not enough to sort of get you above Liverpool or, or, or Man City. So I think third or fourth. Well, after getting battered by the likes of Bournemouth the past couple of seasons, it will be nice. It'll be very wonderful to watch us score boatloads of goals, hopefully against the, the smaller sides. This season. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. Well, uh, Andrew, this is a real pleasure. Uh, obviously he is the Ars blog, uh, the longest running Arsenal podcast, maybe the longest running Premier League podcast of, of all time, probably at this point. But thank you so much for spending some time with us, giving us a little bit of your afternoon. We appreciate it. We hope the season goes well, but not too well because, sure. uh, you know, we're rivals. <laughs> Likewise. I hope you uh, I hope you have great lives, but a terrible season. You know that way? <laughs> enjoy enjoy relegation. Uh, we're oh, excited about much. that. Thank you. We'll, we'll be in touch when it happens. Don't worry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we really appreciate Andrew. Thank you so much. Nick, uh, you were here as always, and that's... That's a start. That's enough. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Chelsea fans, we hope you enjoyed this preview. We've got a bunch more coming at you before the season kicks off. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Mm-hmm.